Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is off in China for the next couple weeks covering the Wuhan Open and then the China Open in Beijing. And hopefully you all are following along with her content there at WTA Insider. But I took this time while she's gone to catch up with Liz Clark of the Washington Post, who is a veteran sports reporter across all sports, including tennis. And she just returned from a trip to Chicago covering the Labor Cup, which captured the attention of the tennis world once again in its second installment at the United Center in Chicago with big crowds, big attention, big stars, all that sort of stuff. So we talk about the, the Labor Cup and a few other issues in tennis and Liz wrote an article for the Washington Post, which I'll link to in the description, talking about all the conflicts of interest and cross-purposes that tennis is currently at with the governing bodies. So we talk about that, some other tennis-related issues and frustrations, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Liz is a delight, but also an incredible, unflinching reporter. So there's a lot of good stuff in here, and hopefully you enjoy it. Very excited to be joined by Liz Clark of the Washington Post, who is fresh back from Labor Cup in Chicago. Liz, how are you doing? First of all, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, what a privilege. I know um, you have a fabulous audience for your podcast, and I love talking about tennis, and it's, I easily get geeked out on tennis, yeah. and it's not as easy to talk about as the NFL. You know, it's hard to find a willing partner. Let's talk <laughs> about, you know, the slice backhand today. Well, but, we'll, we'll talk about that, okay. but we'll talk about the slices particularly that you saw last weekend in Chicago at Labor Cup. Yeah. Uh, there was, it was second ever edition. I've not been to one yet. You were there. Sure. I guess what made you, first of all, decide, or you were your editor, I don't know whose idea it was, to, yeah. to want it, to go to this, uh, this still pretty new Right. Event. Right. You don't travel a ton for tennis. You went to Wimbledon this year. I, think I did Wimbledon it. this year. The past four years, I've been covering um, the NFL team here in Washington, which, you know, the NFL these days is a 12-month-a-year thing. So yeah. I had covered tennis probably for 11 years at the post. So had had done yeah. uh, all the slams, but Australia? Um, but I had to pull away from that for those four years on football. Right. And now I'm off football, so I'm back in the generalist mix. Very happy to have you. Yeah, back. well, I'm thrilled. And I love being at Wimbledon and the wonderful Ava Wallace, who does a great job with tennis and loves the sport as well, covered the U.S. Open for us. Um, so actually, it was an editor who, who raised the idea of Labor Cup, mainly just noting the really extraordinary convergence of stars, of top players, which, as, as we know is rare for our country. I mean, there's only a few Masters 1000s yeah. in, in, in the U.S., um, and you can throw Canada in as well. We just don't see, we being the U.S. audience, don't have a chance to see Federer, Djokovic, you know, yeah. converge. And the, um, the city open here in D.C. is a tremendous, tremendous tournament with a great field. But it's never had Federer. Not who, since he was like 17 or something. Yes, yeah. yes. Not since he was Federer. Yeah yeah, 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 and I think, you know, the fact that he is 37, everyone who loves tennis on some level, it has this ticking clock in their mind, you know, he's my bucket list, I must see him before yeah. he retires, and I'm not saying he's retiring anytime soon, he's not hinting that, but, you know, the, the arc of an athlete's career is cruel and short, and he's defied it already. Yeah. Um, so anyway, an editor just said, wow, there's a lot of great players here. Do you think it'd be worth going to um, to just sort of mine for features and you could figure out what is this event? And 
it, it was kind of left to me. I'm like, absolutely, I'd love to go. Yeah. Um, it's I, I want to say the players arrived on a Wednesday. The two captains, um, the the players filed in. So it could have been a five day assignment, but that was too much for our purposes. Um, so I arrived the Thursday, mm -hmm. the one day prior, where most of the in, the pre match interviews were right. held, and and was there for day one and day two. Um, then had to fly home, and then I watched all of Sundays, the, the critical yeah. day uh, via Tennis Channel, which gave a really great and a different perspective. Yeah. Um, which So I was glad to see it both ways. So Did you want, did you wind up watching it last year when it was on no, Prague? No, when it was in Prague, um, I was certainly aware of it. I was yeah. intrigued. Um, and You were still I, Redskins beat. I was yeah. immersed in the Redskins. It would have been like week two of the NFL season. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine that I processed it as a one-off event. You know, I thought, yeah. what an extraordinary convergence, what a wonderful tribute to Rod Laver, how much I love Prague, wouldn't it be great to be there? <laughs> um, but it was not in the cards for me to cover or see, and I thought, again, it would be one epic moment. Um, and even going into this, my initial question was the obvious, does this thing have legs? What yeah. is the staying power? Um, and then as I learned more about Fairly, not to be melodramatic, seismic changes over the past yeah. several months. Um, the vote on the Davis Cup, the radical transformation of the Davis Cup, and basically the outsourcing of the Davis Cup yeah. um, to uh, an entity that claims to have phenomenally deep pockets, um, but not experience staging a tennis event. I mean, it, it was just mind-blowing yeah. on a lot of levels. And we had not chronicled that the split among the slams, um, the the run-up to the vote, how the voting fell, the fact that it was two-thirds. I mean, stuff that's really fascinating, yeah. but we had just not accounted yeah. for that. And then I, frankly, hadn't really been aware of the ATP World Team event that had been decided to put to yeah. return to the calendar um, as kind of a, a new season starter. So as I, again, before getting on the plane, I thought, you know, maybe the, the story here is not simply does Labor Cup have legs, but all of a sudden there's a couple different there's team a lot events. Of new events. Yeah. yeah, team events that seem to really resonate with young people. I can see, you know, how this is a cool thing for tennis, um, but it. it is there a market for all three? Is there room in the calendar for all, all three? Um, are players going to be committed to all three? Yeah. Or is it just going to be what follows deregulation of any industry? Like right. the telecommunications industry, not everyone survived that. Yeah. Um, the the people, people get lost by the wayside. So who would be, who's in danger of getting steamrolled by this? Yeah. So because we don't cover tennis to the, to the degree, degree yeah. yeah, and and I, I, I don't mean that in any value judgment way. You know, we we just try to find our moments to, right. to cover it as well as we can. Um, the the trick was not getting too deep in the weeds that a, a general sports audience yeah. would be turned off by the story about um, here's how the voting went and here's right. the factions and blah blah blah. Um, but but do as honest and complete a job as we could of of just saying boy, tennis has a new look, and um, is it going to resonate with audiences? 
And is it going to kind of change the calendar? And I'm so thrilled I got to go. Yeah. Um, See, that was my question. So you had expectations. Yes. And what did, how, when you're on the ground, what surprised yes. you? What impressed you? What did he, not impress you? Absolutely. And it, it, it blew me away um, on several levels. Uh, the turnout at the United Center is probably set up for 18,000 seats for this event. Uh, it opened with a Friday afternoon se- yeah. session, 1 p.m. on a Friday, a work day. Easily 16,000 people. Yeah. Um, that was what blew me away. I turned, yeah. I, I turned it on, and the slate of matches they had on Friday afternoon was not great. I mean, like, they had, it was a kind of typical, we might find a Friday afternoon at the City Open, you know, like a kind of quarterfinal City Open kind of level yeah. matches. It was Dimitrov versus Tiafo. And Kyle yes. Edmund versus Jack Sock. Like, none of those... I mean, Dimitrov is, yes. has been a top five guy, but those aren't headliners or superstars on any right. level. And they've and, packed this place. Yeah, and the the, the surprise sizzle up. that yeah. night was... That was the moment we got to see Federer pair with Djokovic yeah. in doubles. But again, that was and a Djokovic different session. Peg Federer. <laughs> that was so... So funny. His expression, the horror, you know, when he realized what he had done, it would be like my expression. Like, I've hurt the great one, you know. But um, anyway, I, I'm getting carried away. No. So, um, so the turnout uh, blew me away. The complete investment, emotional investment of the crowd um, blew me away. The commitment of the players, not just the two on court, but the fact that all their teammates sat on the couch and uh, there was kind of a generational divide. Obviously, the 20-somethings were totally into, um, you know, the wave and the dances and the antics. And, you know, you could see Isner kind of more conserving his energy and, yeah. and, and Anderson. But they were all in their way completely absorbed with each break point saved and achieved. And, you know, not just emotion at the end but the the moments in a yeah. match where you sense if you know tennis oh my god this is this is a must-have yeah. point and there were so many tie breaks so many um pivotal moments and uh the matches commitment were matches were good oh they were good yeah. and um and uh i love the format yeah. i had never seen um you know, uh, I guess you say it's a best of three set match, but the third set yeah. is a ten point I was tie. Call, I was joking. I call it best of, best of two and a half. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I love that format. It, they use it in doubles a fair amount in on the tour, but they I've never seen it in singles oh, like this. It's and I think brilliant. It's, I never felt, and I'm we've talked on the show before about best of five versus best of three a lot. Yeah. Much more in favor of best of three generally, but best of yeah. two of five, best point with this two and a half with how many matches you got a day. I never yes. felt remotely shortchanged. Yes, and, and they it, still had the deuces during the game, so you still had like long struggles. Right, it just it all kind of worked. Right, and I rarely take broadcasters' concerns into mind. It's not yeah. my issue. However, um, there's also something br- brilliant about the broadcast window of a two and a half set match. I mean, they pretty much came in at two hours. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a perfect digestible thing yeah. for, again, tennis can't simply play to the diehards who are going to strap in for a five-hour record, you know, yeah. soul-crushing yeah. uh, slaughter on the court. <laughs> it's, you know, you want to excite, excite yeah. young people yeah. um, about the game. And I, so there, there's, I'm a, just a big fan of that. Um, so struck by that. Uh, and I guess what you said, the investment of the crowd, too. Because, the investment of the crowd Because really one of the things cool. that I most impressed me, and impressed is the right word, I guess, is that when Federer was playing on both, he played uh, in singles, I guess, on Saturday and Sunday against Kyrgios and then against Isner. 
Yes. The crowd, normally you go to Cincinnati, Federer's playing anybody, the crowd is all completely for him. Of course. But here, the, he was the away team. Yes. And it actually did seem like the crowd pulled for Isner or Kyrgios more than they would have. They bought, yes. they bought into this completely made up, essentially, team world allegiance that the yeah. Chicago crowd was supposed to have. Yeah. And they backed the, the red guys. Yes. And, 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 I think... and that, would, that impressed me that people just bought into the into this very because a lot of people say like what is world as a team world has nothing in common i mean mm-hmm. Ryder cup is it's the like everything comparison. else it's Ryder cup is more contained it's europe yes. versus the united states yes this is europe versus rest i i totally yeah. agree with that and that struck me and i'd piggyback the one thought on that as you laid out the six players on either side it was the home team team world that was so clearly the underdog yeah. and i think any tennis crowd is going to consciously or subconsciously root for the underdog because yeah. in tennis that means longer t- longer matches, matches. Yeah, yeah. the match will go longer if the underdog can like stay in yeah. it stay in it yeah. so there was you know the, the natural maybe allegiance for um, the Americans the home yeah. team but you just wanted the the I mean come on <laughs> you know you're facing a team with Federer um, Djokovic Dimitrov, Zverev, yeah. I mean, that's enough. And I'm not disrespecting the other two, but whoa, um, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. But it was incredibly spirited. And and then away from the camera to be part of the post-match interviews to see and really feel how despondent and gutted Isner was um, after losing to Federer, you have a much better recall than I, even though I was there. I believe he had three match points. Yeah, he had that, match points in both matches he okay. lost, I think. Yeah. But so that first match he lost where he had a chance to win. And, you know, to see a player gutted after losing um, a three-day, you know, 97-95 tiebreak, <laughs> whatever the hell that was, that you could understand why you'd be gutted. But right. this was not a physical gutting. This was like... The, the 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 gutting was I failed my team you yeah. know I missed this moment it it was just and he was just felt terrible and and was and it 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 mattered not that he there were no ranking points yeah. at stake we we need to know there's no prize money at stake yeah. I don't even think these go on your record your no, they career don't count record on your head this to head is his head to head no. does, is so not that, that, that was the next thing I was going to yeah. bring up was yeah this, so this, I'll stop this, no, <laughs> sorry no, was this question yeah. of uh, exhibition yeah which, yeah. Is, which is used in tennis uh, to diminish events sure. generally as a word I mean there's sure. like basically tour events which count towards your record and there's yeah. exhibition events which don't matter yeah and this one obviously starts out as an exhibition event and I remember being very skeptical before it started last year there was a lot of promo by Tennis Australia who was really at the helm last year of getting this whole thing started of course they're a partner right they're a partner and USTA is a partner too much more quietly Um, they came on more recently of Tennis Australia talking about how prestigious it was and this would be the greatest honor of everyone's lives to play the Labor Cup and I was completely rolling my eyes at that Like, and I would have too what is this thing but when I when it got there, when when it started up last year, and I could see how much the players and the crowd bought into it, I immediately yeah. took it much more seriously. And I'm just wondering, in terms of the exhibition mm-hmm. word as a word, mm-hmm. is that a fair thing to call this? Is it? I mean, and what mm-hmm. is an you? And just from mm-hmm. all of your general sports mm-hmm. knowledge across the board, what is an exhibition, quote unquote, yeah. and, and how does that define or not totally define uh, what a sporting 
event is? Yes, that's a great question. And in a, as you spoke, I was brought to mind of the NBA All-Star Game yeah. and the NFL's Pro Bowl. Yeah. And, and I think we'd all say those are exhibitions, you know, yeah. one-off special events. It's understood in the All-Star Game. Really, nobody plays defense. It's right. just a fabulous show. And that's why people got so annoyed in baseball when they added the meaning to it, when they wanted to have, I think, home field advantage in the World Series. When to yes. the All-Star Game, people were like, that's not, don't put any stakes on this yeah. exhibition. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the, the terms, what's at stake, what is the value, um, it's, it's kind of on the, it's clear uh, with the All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game and the Pro Bowl. It's, it's fun, competitive, great entertainment. And I, I'm not saying that people don't care, but it's just its own category. Yeah. Um, and and so it was either the day, it was the day prior interviews, the question I believe went to John Isner, and I can't recall if, if the word exhibition was used in the question. I don't think it was, mm -hmm. but I think the question may have been even more naked. Um, tell me, John, how, how much do players really care about this? Yeah. Or maybe it was. Anyway, yeah. he immediately bristled um, and not not in a mean way to the questioner, yeah. but it got his back up. And he just said, you know, I really hate that question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we care. And it got my attention. And still, but still I was like, yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah. see, you know, I, that's, those are nice words. Um, and, you kinda, and they are getting paid to be there. I mean, yeah, are, there you know, is a sizable appearance fee. It's not yeah. the same for Kyle Edmonds and Djokovic, yeah. you know, as, as it should not be. Right. I mean, every sport is a meritocracy and, uh, you know, um, you know, a fullback doesn't earn what Tom Brady does either sure. in the NFL. But there is price money at stake. And I want to come back to the value to the players at one point. Yeah. But I'm sorry, to hone in on your question, I kind of think we're failed here by vocabulary because hmm. exhibition does carry a kind of pejorative, dismissive, yeah, uh, quirky tone in the context of sports it's clearly not a tour event it you know there are no points prize money career head-to-heads at stake um and because it's so new no one when they were like so a kid new. was like i dreamed of winning labor cup one yeah. day like, like you, you talked last night about its panel you were at uh, about, yeah. about your love of the olympics and olympics obviously is an extreme example of this yeah. people train their whole lives for one moment yes labor cup is not that because it's two years old Yes. And, you know, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Even, even yes. it was, came in the middle of Francis Tiafo's career, and he's right. barely been around at all. Right. So. But, but I, you know, I will not use exhibition in print to describe this unless hmm. I'm addressing the point, is it an exhibition? No. You know, that, that point. Um, because, and I, you know, I'm a decent judge of effort and no. heart. Um as I know, are you and, and probably your listeners. I mean, you know when a player's dogging it when they're yeah. or when their body language telegraphs defeat yeah. or concession or I Or, or they're joking things that happen in, in tennis and their exhibitions that fall into the what they call hit and giggle category. Yeah, yeah. Where like yeah, the yeah. players will, like, hand, will hand their racket to the ball kids for a point. Oh yeah. Like oh that's and a that, well and explained. That, and that didn't and that no. did not imagine that happening in no, labor. No, no. There was no. so much pride here. Yeah. So much pride. And um so, I, I've probably not answered your question, no, but, but, but I don't but think. But you, you certainly haven't said yes to exhibition. No, no, or, it's clearly not that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's its own category, 
Um, and, and I think time will, I mean, it will require time yeah. to give it a definition. Um, but because if I could, yeah. go, ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, no, I did want to circle back to when we were kind of hitting briefly on what's at stake, what do players get out of this. What, what moved me deeply was um, the very real, invaluable um, takeaway of the experience for the younger players, players particularly like Schwartzman, who spoke to this very eloquently. Um, and I want to say, I don't want to do anybody a disservice. Um, Dimitrov as well, mm-hmm. Kyle Edmund as well, um, spoke about this as an invaluable learning experience and what the, the privilege of, you know, some were actually accompanied by their year-round coaches. Yeah. And so they would work with their year-round coaches in the practice time. But they took very, very seriously the privilege and honor and value of having Federer coach them, literally yeah. coach them, either uh-huh. yelling from the sideline or um, right on a changeover. And, and more than just like, stay in it, you got this. It would be a like, use this advice. shot. Yeah. And one of the great you things, know. I don't know how much you could hear it, you probably couldn't hear any of this in the stadium when you were there, but mm-hmm. when you were watching from TV, you mm-hmm. can hear, it was pretty well mic'd. You could hear what players were saying. Yes. And, it was, and even, and one of the most, like some of the most candid moments were when they were talking about the opponents for the other team. Yes. Where they were talking yeah. about like Jack's, Let me break them down Jack Sox for you. having a horrible year. Yes. And so they were talking to, uh, who play, Kyle Edmund, who was playing Jack Sock, and they said, you hit it twice to his backhand, you're going to win the point. Oh, basically. They're just it's basically, cruel and great. But it was right. It was yeah. cruel and honest yes. and great. Was, I yeah. think Dimitrov said that to, yeah. to Kyle as he was playing. And just like yeah. that, kind of, that kind of candor yeah. you don't usually hear. And, and it made that, it seemed, it was interesting that I'm not sure how seriously the players on the bench took the coaching abilities of Warg or McEnroe because they're not guys who are in the game day-to-day and don't Correct. coach against these guys, and they thought, hey, really I can do point. a better job really and jump point. in there. Yeah. Um, but it was, just, it was great to hear. And I think that's yeah. the, that's the, there are a bunch of things, we'll get to the sort of competing yeah. team yeah. competitions. That's this, the way just the interior design or the architecture of these benches is something that Davis Cup should steal immediately. And having, yes. and having the players be able to go on the court, I think all of that's really, really positive. It's awesome. And so sadly, being there, because it was in a now hockey arena and yeah. hockey press boxes are up way, high up way higher than any press box in sports. Seventh floor. Yeah. Um, so my best visual was the jumbotron. The interplay, the verbal interplay, was lost on me. Yeah. It wasn't until Sunday when I watched however many. It felt like seven hours. I mean, yeah. I was like locked in on the TV. I love that. And what's the specific I recall is Federer when Zverev is struggling against Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Very specifically laying out, you've got to step in more. You know, you're giving him too much time to handle your ball. You step in more. And I felt for Zverev because it's the classic, that's easier said than done, right? right? If I'm facing Kevin Anderson, sir, I'm backing up to like Indiana. (laughs) You know, know, backing up so far. And it's it's hard to then step right in. It was great advice. And um, tactical advice, and and as you said, you did. I think a a lot of fans don't realize how much mental work 
players put in not to their games, but their opponents' games, yeah. dissecting weaknesses, and that's certainly what their coaches are paid to do. Yeah. I think we're we're we've all me has I've grown accustomed to Venus and Serena at a younger age. They would always say, "I don't even know who my opponent is. Yeah. I don't look at the draw. I don't know if she's left-handed, right-handed. Yeah. It's my game." Venus still does a little of that. Yeah, yeah. and and I I appreciate that, but and and I believe that I take that as sincere. But at least among these, these, these men's players, they put a lot of work into yeah. what are the patterns of this guy yeah. on the return, right. on the backhand, what's his weakness, where's the, the thing, yeah. you know, I hit remember, it twice here and boom, it's yours. Yeah, I remember sitting, I remember because John Isner in particular always sort of acts in press conferences like he's way more interested in Georgia football than yes. anything, anything about tennis. And I remember being with or not near him uh, when I used to go, I think that in a few years to the Paris Indoors tournament, which is the last tournament of the year. Yes. And there's not, it's an indoor tournament, it's like a long schedule, so there's not much to do. So he and Sam Query came and like sat down behind me for the end of just to watch a match. It was, okay. I think, Robredo and David Goffin, I think I remember. If it, met, it doesn't really matter who it was. And they were guessing like where Robredo's going to serve every single time. Oh, next, how fun. And knowing like what typical Spanish style serving yes. patterns were and they got most of on them a right. court. on how, a hard court right? and, well. and, they, and they knew and they were like kind of geeking out over like yes. second serve on break, this break point he's going to go body to the backhand it's right. exactly what he did <laughs> and just hearing those sort of things and that, that, was a, that was a cool moment for me and it was sort of like wow John Ezra actually does it's not just serving he does kind of try to maximize whatever he can do um, that's a great anecdote but, but anyway um, on the viability of the team stuff I guess yes. I, on, on your yes. uh, for just more generally as we said, you covered pretty much every sport under the sun. How unique, unique to tennis is this clusterfuck of uh, organizations working across purposes now? All starting at, at I, all starting with you know very similar ideas within a you know, yeah. sort of four month stretch, five month stretch of the calendar. Yeah, everyone comes with a men's team event suddenly, and there's just no way they're all going to survive. Yeah, how how uniquely screwed you know, up of tennis is that's that? That's interesting. I mean. It, it it pains me to say this. I, it's off the charts. Yeah. Um. It's an outlier. And, you know, as a kid growing up, tennis was my favorite sport. I just loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. So, you know, in the range of things I've done in this long career, um, tennis occupies a special spot. So it grieves me particularly to to. To, to kind of get an understanding of, I hate cliches, but how many cooks are in the kitchen, you know, yeah. how many um, dug in, often opposing agendas are flying across the table yeah. when, when fundamental decisions are being made um, that really should be driven strictly by what is best for players, I shouldn't say strictly, primarily, and what is best for fans. Um, so, sir, you know, the opposite extreme, don't gag, yeah. has been NASCAR, mm-hmm. the stock car racing, sure. which was founded in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I oddly know about this. Oh, you, you it, wrote an amazing book about this. I'll, yeah, I'll again, happily, the, you're probably, plug. I'm no, driving no, away your but listeners, I read your books. but like, bear happily, with my I'll point. I will plug one hell of a ride. Well, no, no, no. My point being... <laughs> NASCAR is owned by one family. It was founded by one family, Bill France. Bill France, he's now dead. They Mm -hmm. had Bill France Jr. and now Brian France. And he very proudly said, 
My sport is a dictatorship. I rule it with an iron fist. Yeah. There was one attempt of drivers to unionize in the 60s. He brought out a pistol. <laughs> he brought out a gun. And he said anybody, in, and it was, the, it was connected with the Teamsters. Jimmy yeah. Hoffa tried to get them to form a driver's union. And, and I mean, I'm a big um, workers' rights person. This yeah. is not my norm to, to cheer for the... Um, the uh, dictator here, <laughs> yeah. But he said, anybody who signs up with this, you're banned for life from my sport. You're never, and it was his sport. Yeah. Um, so that's one extreme. Yeah. But there was a brilliance. There was no debate. There was ever no discussion of what the schedule would be, who would race, the fact that everybody would race. That when fans bought a ticket, you didn't have to guess: is Richard Petty going to show up at this race, or is he going to have a hamstring? You know, yeah. it's, it's just there's not it, it. And that that dictatorship, that uh, over the top total control, role, yeah. is what helped really got the sport going. Um, you know. No one would hold up FIFA as a model of successful governance, nor the IOC. I mean, they both are fraught with fraud and yeah. and, and horrendous examples. But, you know, the World Cup is, well, it, it succeeds for other reasons. I, yeah. I won't even elaborate on that. But, I mean, I was trying to think, what's an analogy for tennis? And I didn't put this in the story, but I was trying to think, like, okay, it would be like, Instead of the NFL office making the regular season schedule for everyone, it would be like you get in a room with uh, the NFL, the AFC, the NFC, Nike, Google, and Amazon, and the ESPN. It's like, okay, let's make a schedule. And we're all like, what a mess that would be. And how easy it would be to lose sight of how do we best package and present our sport? How do we best take care of our athletes, you know, prevent burnout and honor fans while in a way that there's not a million competing events and um, you, it's kind of roulette, like do I buy a plane ticket and travel to Indian Wells? Am I gonna be able to count on so-and-so being there? I think with the Masters 1000s, you yeah. can. So maybe that's a bad example. But, you know, lesser tournaments, you Washington, don't know. Yeah, Washington. You don't know. I mean, Washington certainly has had a couple, you know, top 10 withdrawals every year. Yeah. Or in yeah. other tournaments. Certainly the Asian tournaments, which happening now, will get a lot of players. Yeah. And it was pulling out of them. great um, in the history of the City Open when Agassi would play year after year and then Roddick behind him year after yeah. year. But there were a couple of years later and he had to withdraw, you know, yeah. and it was it was but the Olympics good. would be happening. Yeah, and, uh, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so that's another person at the table. Yeah. You know, every four years, tennis has the Olympics. Yeah. And, 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 um, and Labor Cup, actually, I don't know if you knew this, or this didn't come up in, not that relevant, but it was quietly done. When Labor Cup first announced its concept, it said it would be held, you know, every year, except for during Olympic years, when we'll take time off and respect the calendar. Oh. And then earlier this year, they said, you know what, actually, we're going to do the Olympic years, too. Because There's we can. There's there. And, and, and be, there's space in there, and we don't want to lose our foothold. Which is essentially being I, a little bit greedy and less conciliatory to yeah, other properties. Yeah, um, but the brilliant, I, I can't blame them for that, but, you I know, can't, but, they're, but they're also only looking out for themselves. Yeah, but I will also say, um, the fact that it's a three-day event... Yeah. Is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, going back Compared to our to the old two and a half days yeah, cup format, it's not like saying we're a four week event and we're taking this week. You, you know, the the sort of self importance greed. I, 
it doesn't trouble me that much. It's a three-day event. You're yeah. talking about 12 players, um, six, wait, my math is really 12 bad. 12 players, yeah. Yeah, but then you add the alternates. Oh, seven, 14. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a limited number of players. It's so, um, and, and no one can play more than two or three matches, I think. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it, that's another way it's its own animal. But back to what, what we started talking about, and I'm sort of bumbling through, I can't think of any successfully run, managed, maintained sport that has the political uh, chaos um, that tennis has and, and that does the sport a disservice so grievously um, as tennis. And, and it... I'm being emotional because it's a sport I love yeah. and care about, and I can't imagine. Um, oh well, I, yeah. I, I just wish there were a whole new structure, and I, I know enough about history to fully appreciate the courage that it took to form the WTA. Yeah, God bless them, those pioneers who did it. I feel the same about the ATP. Yeah, every everyone who held out for money and professionals yeah. and players have a voice. I cheer the fact that Novak is taking a leadership role on the players council. Yeah. You know, my my whatever would be my scenario of peace and unanimity would certainly not exclude the players voice in all this. Yeah. But it's just a damn pity. Yeah. No, it is and and you mentioned WTA there, we haven't mentioned women's tennis at all, but one of the things that is the failures of these three events is they're all men only. I think being a mixed event would be a point of distinction for if any of the three had gone that way. I don't know. That's my personal take. I feel like the mixed events in the slams and most of the Masters events being combined have a unique, that's one of the strengths of tennis, I feel like. And I don't know if, if the if No, the, if I the, love the what genuine, you're saying. You if, can't if, see. If, I'm screwing if, up my yeah. face, and I'll explain why. Go ahead. Skeptical, but, yeah. but if um, But if like the January event, instead of being just as ATP... ATP is being very disingenuous with this January event. They're saying, oh, we're just resurrecting this great thing, which was Correct. completely dead and forgotten. Yeah, and I, I didn't even know it, it, it had right, existed. It was not a big deal at all, yeah. this World Team Cup. It was yeah. in Dusseldorf on clay in May. Mm -hmm. And so to say, oh, we're just popping it right back up in hard courts across Australia. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's a new thing. Mm -hmm. um, with, a, with an old name, I guess. But it's, it's not that. Anyway, that, so, that, that, that just, and it frustrates me also that the women are not taking their own initiative and starting their own events to match the men, if nothing else. Why there isn't... Insert well, boy, you're going into thing. really interesting terrain, and I don't even know if you don't have to, I should address. Yeah, but, but, but you know, I, let's not forget the Fed Cup does exist. But yeah. I don't think but Cosmos, yeah, yeah has has gone in and said we're going to put in three billion dollars to Fed Cup. I think right. Cosmos has said we want Davis Cup. So right. that, you know, um, that is not it exists, but it's no. not on equal footing. Um, Let me ask you your thought about this. Okay. So one of the things that, that moved and delighted and uh, me so much about this Labor Cup was how quickly, immediately, naturally, uh, Federer and Djokovic pivoted. They've devoted decades to dissecting each other, mm -hmm. um, pivoted to being teammates, helping one another, um, helping the younger guys, imparting their wisdom, sharing their wisdom. It seemed 
across all six. Yeah. And and let me you know on the on the American well, not American on the world yeah. team, quite the same. Yeah. I mean, just this really genuine pivot. Like you're my guy, and it was a side of curios. So he stands out to me yeah. because I have really struggled with um, admiring him because you you see the the potential, the talent, and the moodiness, the petulance, the the way he at times has dishonored the game and dishonored his own talent. Hmm. So um, I, I remember feeling these things about a young Agassiz at times, you know, and I can be too judgmental, but I expect a lot of, of people with with God, touched by God, with yeah. their talent, you know. Yeah. So um, it was so easy to really love Kyrgios in the Slaver Cup because he was the most giving, loving, like a, a puppy. I mean, he could not contain himself. He was so yeah. physically into cheering his the teammates. The team environment's really good I for him. I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I took it as in heart. It is harder for me to picture, you know, Maria doing that for Serena mm-hmm. in in a female labor cup. That's the most extreme example, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see Kim Kleister's doing that for anyone. Yeah. And, you know, we can go down the list. It's just, and I don't know why. I mean, I think this is a, a very deep um, and delicate and nuanced conversation about um, the way in which female tennis players evolve yeah. and develop their practice partners are not fellow women on the yeah. tour they're their hitting partners there's not the camaraderie because they don't need each there's, other yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just a different dynamic and i'm not making a value judgment but if you watch tennis a lot you don't even at the routine um every grand slam how do we meet at the net mm-hmm. you know that my mind is full of images of Federer consoling Nadal, of Nadal consoling Federer, things that almost bring you to tears, you know? And it's from the heart. And um, there are fewer of those examples in women's tennis. It's more like a drive-by. They can be, yeah, we have to say, yeah. Yeah, I acknowledge you. There's a pantheon. (laughs) A a horrible handshake. And again, and again. Acknowledging could be a strong word. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's I think, real. I think that is, and there's a real difference in how they, in how the, you know, this social interaction between the two. It, it just, I think the women, true. I think the women could, would, could surprise us. I'd like to see them have exactly. the chance. I'd like to have the chance. Yeah, and and that's I did want to get to that point. Yeah. It's just how interesting would that be if there yeah. were a Billie Jean Cup? Um, you know, it, it take let's just borrow this format exactly. Uh, yeah. Whether it's it's part of the Labor Cup or it's its counterpart. Yeah. Would that organically happen? Would that pivot happen immediately? And and that would be so great to see. I just don't know. Yeah. Last, last thing. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm just curious. You talked about about the disorganization and the cross purposes side of, of tennis, but I'm just curious. Just again, talking to a tennis audience from a general perspective, you have, but also spending a lot of time within tennis. What what makes tennis most different? You need to cover. Like, what are the things that make Last night there was this event where you and several other of your colleagues were talking about which oh, locker rooms are the most, you know, oh. talking about baseball versus mm. NBA locker rooms and differences in the cultures there. I'm just wondering where you yeah. think uh, tennis fits in and sort of the ease and comfort and pleasure and difficulties and frustrations of, of covering it as a sport. Yeah. You've, been, you've been all over the map. No, I used to say, uh, you know, blithely, tennis is by far my favorite sport, but it's the most aggravating to cover. Mm. And... Um, it's not that simple, and I'll try to put meat on the bones there. Sure. Um, 
favorite sport. It's beautiful. I love the mental aspect as much as the physical, the tactics, the change of surface, the venues. I, I just all I love tennis. Um, aggravating to cover in that um, almost every interview is in a group setting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very stuff, yeah. yeah. So it, this all speaks to access, and this may not be the concern of your listeners, but no. it's very difficult to get a one-on-one interview, and that has nothing to do with gee, a one-on-one interview feeds my ego, but you you can sustain a conversation or at least pursue a line of thought. You know, when you're one of 50 leaping up to get your question in or flapping your arms to be recognized in a seat, it's great to get a question in, but you kind of then have to step back and let someone else get Mm -hmm. their question in. So it's hard to probe to a second level, a third level, a deeper level. It's harder to build relationships with players. I mean, you are quite a presence around yeah. the globe, and and I know you do have relationships with yeah, players. But it's hard. In the I recognize when, when I dip into harder. NHL um, even briefly, I understand how easy it is there. Yeah, just walk up to somebody there and be are. Friendly. It's almost like each player in tennis is a corporation, mm. and they have their own rules and layers. So, with one player, you might need to go through the agent to reach them, or the parent to reach them, or the coach to reach them. Um, I don't mind, you know, doing whatever, jumping through whatever hoops is required. Um, But it's different for everyone. That's fine. But there's no manual. There's no tennis media guide. This will, I'm sure, make no sense to your readers. (laughs) But, you know, a media guide for the NFL will give, it's not something that's for sale to the public, but it, or at least the, the, Behind yeah. the scenes one. Behind Manual, the scenes one yeah. that gives you, and, and again, to go to NASCAR, the NASCAR media guide. Each team, each driver is literally a separate corporation. He has his team owner, his car owner, his corporate sponsor. But you get a book at the beginning of the year that gives you every single driver's um, uh you know, PR representative, their phone, their fax, their cell. Um, to reach Dale Jr., go here. To reach and I remember I asked for this early in my tennis career. I asked for it too. I asked for like, hey, do you just have a list of like who everyone's agent is? Yeah, Most something very thing, simple. Very simple. No, they don't have that, and yeah. they wouldn't really want to do that. They wouldn't be comfortable doing that. Yeah. Why? Like, no, it's, it's so ridiculous. insane. It yeah. is insane. Yeah. And I understand if it's a younger person, maybe their parent is the person. Sometimes agents change. Big whoop. You know this this media guide for NASCAR. I even brought the NASCAR media guide to, um, I think it was a WTA representative, a hmm. PR person. I said, I'm sure you don't want to be compared to NASCAR, but, but look at this, how easy it is for, for either a veteran racing writer or somebody who parachutes in for the big yeah. events to figure out, I want to interview with Jimmy Johnson. How do I do that? Oh, that's how I do it. And so it's the, the, the reality of covering it is is brutal. Well, that's too dramatic. It's it's just, it's maddening because you are so kept at arm's length. I certainly understand the issue of player safety. Sure. Um, that doesn't, I don't even need to say that I understand their safety and you don't want to be publicizing maybe how to reach them or yeah. stalk them, but there's got to be a better way. And the fact that 
you know, there's a media operation for each of the four SLAMs, for the WTA, for the ATP, for the ITF. Each of these entities has its own media staff. Yeah. And it's, it's a big, it's, it's just tough to... Um, and even then, even then, WTA, you'll get, you know, different representatives every week who are rotating through the calendar. Yeah, and again, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm whining because it's hard, no, hard to I do the job. Yeah. The essence of the whine is that <laughs> I feel each player is a fascinating human story, whether they're lurking around 96 in the world or top. 11 trying to be top 10. Mm -hmm. their, the way they structure their travel, their lives, their emotional lives, their physical challenges, the effort they put in, it's fascinating. And those are the kind of stories you want to tell. And blurting out a single question four times a year at a slam is not yeah. the way to get that story. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Liz. This is a great way to get your story out to people. I'm glad that you were able to join us. I, I have not mentioned um, the soundtrack of your life yet, which is Bruce Springsteen. We have little outro songs <laughs> that, that play and play at the end of each episode. I was curious on the way here, I was thinking, yes. can you come up with a Bruce song that you think best represents, I don't know, anything we've talked about on this show? Oh, uh, wow. Like, oh, I love like, this question. Like a labor cup or a tennis conflict of interest, cross purposes, any sort of you, you are an encyclopedia ooh, and, a, and a vast ooh, trove. Ooh. Ben, that is so brilliant. I would have to say, and I'm just a Twitter because there's so I, there's so many songs I love. How many times have you seen Bruce this year, by the way? So I can put this not, in Well, he's at a, I mean, he's doing a Broadway yeah. show, a one-man Broadway show, and has been for um, a little over a year. Yeah. So, and it, it's... How many times the, have you seen it, though? Well, it, the tickets are outrageous and impossible to get. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud to say I've seen it once, okay. but I'm also proud to say that next week I'm seeing it again. Oh, good. So my birthday is coming up next <laughs> oh, week. Awesome. So I'm going, cool. going again. But the, the overall count of Bruce concerts is in the 160s. Okay. Yeah. 160. Yeah. It's a three-digit number. <laughs> but um, so but if so if we want a, an, a song for this, for tennis, for this, I would have to say Badlands. Yeah. Um, because it's defiant. And it speaks to pain and striving and dreaming. And I just think for all the beauty in tennis, it is pain and striving. And there's so much work and sacrifice on the athlete's parts that is not told. And it is so lonesome. And, and that's, that's one thing we critically missed in our conversation about the mm -hmm. Labor Cup, which is for such a solitary sport, what a gift this is. Yeah. And, and players did speak to that. You know, you are on an island. Forget the coach, the mom. You know, it is your problem solving on the court. And your failure, it's so hard not to wallow in and, and bash a racket and beat yourself up. Yeah. And that, that art of turning your back on the chaos, collect, I love that. I love the mental demands of tennis. Um, but the lonesomeness is... Um, is it's got a it, it's profound um and so badlands for me is uh i can't say it's, it's not necessarily my favorite song but it's this anthem of overcoming and uh i see the valor of that in players 
a lot. This is by far the best outro explanation we've ever gotten on any episode. <laughs> Thank you very much, Liz, for being I'm here. I'm going to start to cry. <laughs> I will see you somewhere down the road in some, in some so. course somewhere soon. I hope so. Thank you. Okay.